questions. We're not even going to talk about how bad the questions are. <laughs> They're not that bad, but they focus a lot on your your hunger. My hunger? Your hunger and your hunger and your and your wallet. <laughs> Both. So, all right, we'll get we'll get rolling, and if people. Uh, Hang out, whatever, it doesn't yeah, matter. that's fine. So, welcome to episode 11 of the BMX in Our Blood. And as you may have heard when we did Soup's interview, he was number 7. So naturally, you're number 11. Well, stoked to be here. This is awesome. We got Soup's in the background. We could hear him chatting away, so... Oh, yeah. It's good that he's here for a little bit, but... Yeah? Yeah, stoked to do this. It's going to be good. Let's see Yeah, that's right. So we got 7-Eleven, uh, but really we know that you are the 7-Eleven guy, and you can expand more on who else was with you with the development of 7-Eleven and uh, or Sevs, we'll say, back in the day, back and, in the day. and right through. But um, you're a tough one to start with because you've done everything. Yeah, you're, you're, not that much. Oh, come on. <laughs> Don't be modest. All right. Um, I look back and... And I did as much research as I could about you for the time gap that I was gone. Right. You know, of course, I know you up until like 97, 98, but right through uh, 98 to up until I met you again when we did the John Lee Jam. Right. It was, that's a, that's a pretty healthy gap. That's that, that was a big gap. Yeah. It's 15, 17 years. So, yes. so you did a lot. So <laughs> it's, like I said, you've done more than anyone I know because you raced you built trails, you rode trails, you've done videography, you've done photography. Ma- mainly you, photography. <laughs> mainly photography, but back at my house, and you know it, there's a yeah, picture out there where film. you're holding, you were filming yes. along with Shu, Brian Shoemaker. Yeah. Is that who you were uh, filming with? No, at, at your house, I think maybe Soups might have been there. Shu definitely wasn't there. He I don't wasn't. think so. But it was probably Arochi was there, probably Bavona was there, because it was okay. after Bethel, right? Yeah, Bethel, yeah. Connecticut Bethel race. Bethel or Meriden. Yeah, was, one of the two. Is was that the Schwinn day? It was the Schwinn day. Yeah, okay. BF was there, Shrelecki was there, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know you're holding a a, a monster camcorder, we'll call it. So anyway, you have covered so many areas of BMX. It, it's really difficult to start with with uh, history with you. Well, we got to so start somewhere. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna let. I usually don't do this, but I'm gonna let you pick the starting point. Um, BMX started for me, I guess, when I was a kid. Like pretty much, I learned how to ride a two wheel bike when I was probably about five. When I was still living in Queens, actually. And then moved out to Long Island shortly after that. In my neighborhood, kids, at the end of the road, there was a dead end and there was a farm there. Kids always just had little dirt jumps there, like lips, no landings, nothing, just riding, hitting that stuff. And then I got word then that there were trails about two miles away at the 7-Eleven. This is when I was like six or seven years old. So I was like, all right, sweet. So they told me where the location was. And one day I snuck out of my parents' house, rode my bike two miles to the 7-Eleven where the actual trails, the famous 7-Eleven trails were. So the first time I actually went there was when I was like six or seven years old. And from there, I was just locked in, you know, just started jumping stuff. I would sneak out of my parents' house and go there and everything. And since then, I, I got locked into it. And then shortly after that, 
through playing baseball, this dude, Casey O'Rourke, who was on my baseball team, actually raced at Shoreham. Told me about it, told my dad about it, his dad told my dad, and went there in 1987, and then the rest is history. That's where it started. Unbelievable. So the trails at Sebs were actually existing when you were first introduced to them? Yes. So obviously nothing like what you built. No, nothing so back then. Typical 80s. Yes, it was just in the middle of a field, which Sebs was and always was until its demise. It was just lips to nothing. Like lips to nothing, rollers, little rut berms and stuff. But it was the 80s. It was 87. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it was back then. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same thing. Lips to... Lips to, lips to just like a, a pile of dirt landing. Yes, pretty much. Forget packing. Was, <laughs> yeah. Because there was really no jump after that. Nope, nope. Just foot pack. Just, Not even foot pack. Just like put a pile of dirt there and just start yep. hitting it. Just one, one hit. That's it. Yep. <laughs> hey, it's it was it was all about doing that one trick back then. That's exactly. all that mattered. How how far can you do that turn bar? <laughs> pretty much. So um, basically, you went from five or six. Or six or seven? Six or seven. All right, so you went um, and started racing pretty soon after that. Yes, I uh, started racing late 87. Late 87? Still had my first BMX trophy. Really? First place beginner. Wow. <laughs> right at Shoreham. Yep, right at Shoreham. So Shoreham, obviously, hotbed of, uh, of talent. A so, lot of talent out of there. So with, with all that racing and the trails just kind of starting did you find like a commonality with these other kids that raced and you all started meeting at places like Sebs or Sebs itself? Um, when I was younger like early ages like seven eight nine not really it was more just meeting up with local kids in my neighborhood and stuff like that but as we got a little bit older turning 10, 11, 12 years old, that's when, you know, I became friends with Brian Arochi, Tom Pavona, because they all raced that Shorm as well. Just so happened that Brian Arochi lived almost in, like, one town over, so that's when we would meet up. He actually had trails right down the block from his house. I would get dropped off there by my dad. We'd go ride trails. Brian's dad and my dad would drive us to the original Clinton Trails when we were younger. We'd yeah. ride there. We got yelled at because we're trying to jump stuff when we shouldn't be jumping stuff. And then, you know, after that, just seeing the older kids doing it, we just took our own part in it. So we were like, well, if they're doing it, like, we could build these little jumps down the block from, like, my house, from his house, stuff like that. Right. And then, yeah. And then it just kept progressing. It just so kept it was, progressing. You I'm just keep meeting more friends from the neighborhood. Like, <clears throat> in the area where <clears throat> Sebs, Sebs is around, it was kind of like almost like a hotbed. Like, within, like, five towns, at the peak, there was maybe 30 sets of trails that you could think of. Like, we could ride from 7-Eleven up to where BMX Country was and then go to places like Nielsen's and Strathmore and Tanglewood. Like, Sterrett's and all that. You would go down there by Oak park and everything but like that's what you did back in the day like you wanted to ride when you were younger there was no skate parks around no one rode streets so you would just go in the woods and just build and that's what you did right yeah but you're, you're so fortunate that you had so many talented riders to to join in on this on this trail movement because it's they had the skill so you guys weren't afraid to build above your level so you can learn that level you know it's it, it all stems from Shoreham BMX like the way it was back then 
Shorm, I always felt it was ahead of its time with a BMX track. Like, in its heyday, like, early 90s, Shorm started progressing with the jumps because it wasn't just parents building the tracks. They actually took, you know, they let the kids build the tracks, like, meaning, like, Keith Mulligan, Rich Soper, Ronnie Gasco. Like, everybody had big inputs on what the track was going to be like. So they were doing stuff in the trails, and they wanted to incorporate it into the tracks. And that's one one reason why I think the people from Long Island who race Shorm BMX that where like the hotbed was where they got good is that the track was just so far in advance of other BMX tracks. It was more difficult. Like we would go to races, we might get beat by other people, but they come to our turf, we were smoking them every time because we knew the track. The track was super technical, and it's uh, it's the way it was because the riders built the track. It wasn't like mom and pop like putting rollers and weird berms and stuff like that and we're talking huge credit to um the mulligans on that one because yes. uh, most tracks would not allow that type of rider input and i don't mean that in a negative way but um one size doesn't always fit all so a parent organization doesn't always accept those kind of ideas right uh especially back then because they consider it, you know, dangerous for the five-year-old or maybe dangerous for the older beginner or whatever it may be. So you, you guys were lucky that you, that you uh, had we were the mulligans. Very, we were very fortunate that we had people like the mulligans that were, they, they were pretty much the head of Shorm at the time, I believe. And then later on, like, like Irochi came in and stuff like that. But at the time, in like the early to mid-90s, it was pretty, I would say it was the mulligans that were that were pretty much in charge of everything. I mean, I was young at the time, so I didn't know like sure. what the board was or anything. I was yeah. just stoked that like, you know, people that I looked up to as a child that are now building awesome jumps at the BMX track to where it helps us progress into things, you know, because that's the only way you're gonna get better with things by challenging yourself and riding with people that are better than you and riding stuff that exceeds your limitation. Right. You have to meet that limitation. Right. And we were just fortunate to have Shorm as a local BMX track to help us out do all that. No kidding. And <laughs> yeah. it definitely it, it was worked. Awesome. It, it was awesome. So you're talking like 30 sets of trails potentially around that number in that close to that area. I mean, not all at once. Like yeah, I remember yeah. one time a couple of years back, me Keith came back home, home from California, and we were yeah. just... We actually went to Hamden, Connecticut, to meet up with Jeffy and all them. And we were just shooting the shit, talking about... We made a list of all the trails that were, like, on Long Island at one point, and we lost track at 30. So, you know, throughout the time of, like, the mid-80s to mid-90s, we we named 30 sets of trails that were actually on Long Island. Even then, when you were under 10, it sounds like there were still at least, you know, 8 to 10 sets of trails. At least, at least. I mean, even just around the area where I grew up, there were at least five, six, seven, but there were even more trails out west in Nassau County, even in Queens, that we didn't even know about, because I was too young at the time. You know, I just stayed in my area. My dad would drive me off at BMX Country, at Clinton, and stuff like that, so that's what I knew. Right. Right. So, when did racing stop and trails kicked in solid? I mean... Racing stopped for me in about 1998, and it's not that trails kicked in more. It was always it always went hand in hand with each other with racing and riding trails because at the time we really didn't train or anything. We didn't do sprints. 
we would go we would go to Shoreham. That was kind of training. We'd just ride the track, but trails kind of was like our training. Oh yeah. You know, like we just every day just meet up and just go to the trails and ride from sun up to sundown, and that that was our training. You know, but as far as going when trails really took over. I guess it's just when racing stopped when I just got tired of racing. Got it. And it's yeah. it's not it's not that I got tired of racing. Racing's super fun. I loved it, but I got tired of go traveling everywhere going to BMX tracks. <laughs> going to all these races, flying places, traveling so long. Yeah. Just to ride your bike for a total time of maybe an hour and a half the whole weekend. Yeah. It just it got played out from there. That's so I just I just got sick and tired of it. I was like, I just want to enjoy BMX, and I guess that's when trails, I guess you could say, took over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and know? it became like the primary. Yeah, it became the primary. Right, right. Which which is important because from that you took trails to another level uh, with a, as a hobby as well, right? And it, when, I mean, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside from building, because you were always a builder, right? Yes, I, as long as I can remember, since I started riding BMX, I was always building something. Whether it be down the block from my house and that farm, like making some sort of sketchy lip, or to the time of actually going to Sebs and actually figuring out how to build stuff, you know? Right. So when did you start to mix riding with photography? At as soon as I picked up a camera. My dad, he dabbled around with photography, so he always had a camera on hand. And it got to when I was probably about 13 years old, I would take my I would steal my dad's camera and I would always have it with me going to the trails, you know? Like I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I just wanted my camera on me just to document the day, you know, type thing. So just every session I would just try to take pictures as much as I could. And looking back at them now, I'm like, wow, those are real bad <laughs> pictures. But but, but we, you know, it's it's a time capsule. I still have those yeah. pictures, whether how good or bad they are. It's it's something from like <laughs> 1994 or 93, yeah. from when I first started shooting photos. A, a few of us did that, and thank God we did because right. you know I've got some pictures of places around here that uh, I'm so grateful I have, and I've got pictures of people from around here. I don't even know who they are. Exactly. You know, and we would buy disposable cameras even. Exactly. On our way here, we would just stop and buy a disposable camera and take pictures of, of right. ourselves, you know, our, our friend group that came down and, and, of course, the other people we rode with. Right. But uh, so photography picked up a couple years before you, you stopped racing. So when did you realize that, or you may too, be too modest to say this, but when did you realize that... That you really had an eye for it and uh, and started to to contribute. In... I mean, I still don't think I have an eye for it. The Lucky's got an eye for it. Jeff Z's got an eye for it. I'll Ted be, inter has I'll, an I'll eye be interviewing for it. Rob later, so we'll <laughs> ask him about that. So we'll ask him. You know, we'll put him on the spot and, and ask if if he thinks you have an eye for it. But I think anyone here would agree that you have an eye for it. There's no doubt. Well, so you you're being modest, but. Uh, so anyway, when did when did you start contributing? How about we go to that? Because um, that way you don't have to admit that you were good. <laughs> the first the first photo that I ever had published in any sort of BMX publication was a UGPA that I shot of Brian Irochi and it was on I think it was on like the back cover of Bicycles Today or something like that. Nice. And I think it was like maybe ninety six or ninety seven or something like that. Okay. It was like 
picture. It was a silhouette picture picture of him doing a big dark side on the big step jump at Seb's. I still have that picture to this day. Do you? Really? Yeah, yeah it's an awesome picture. But I guess from then, like, getting that first photo published, I was kind of like, huh, maybe I could do this. Yeah. And then I just, you know, I kept with it. And, and I got very, very lucky with photography-wise that I grew up with Keith Mulligan. He sure. would always help me out, give me tips. Ted Nelson always came around back in the day. He's a huge, huge influence to me. And just having Rob Delecki, who was close by, Jeff C in Jersey as well. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff. I've, yeah. Ooh. So it was just, it, it, was, it was a lot of Keith Mulligan and Ted Nelson that really helped me out back in the day. Like, I remember Ted would come down from Connecticut and shoot photos at Seb's, and I would come with, like, a CVS, like, <laughs> you know, prints from CVS and showing Ted, like, what do you think of this? How's yeah, yeah. this? How's this look? And he's like, it's good, it's good. And it's right. like, Ted gave me the approval. I was like... All right, this is awesome. Yeah, this is awesome. yeah. Uh, Ted, Ted is the best, and, and yes. you you probably know I've known Ted since I was since I was sixteen. Yeah, exactly. I think it's known him forever, and another super modest guy, and oh, and uh, just he's the most modest person. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the best. Someday we'll get him on one of these. It's going to take some badgering, but but he's got some history, and uh, he's he's got some smarts. He's and he's definitely into what's going on. With with everybody, he's even though he's not in the BMX scene, oh, he's, he's he's in it. He's in it. He's secretly in there. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, he's, he's lurking he's in, in the it. shadows. He knows what's oh, going yeah. on. Oh yeah, yep. He's <laughs> he's somewhat stealth mode, but uh, but he was he was pretty he's pretty happy on on uh, with what's going on with these kind of interviews because obviously they're of interest to him too mm-hmm. because they're they're people that uh, that he had a lot to do with and. Us Connecticut guys, a, a few of us spent a lot of time here. Yes. Um, oh, I know you but, poached uh, off us. Yeah, yeah. We did. De- oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, uh, no dig, lots of ride. You <laughs> yep. know, there's, it's, it's pretty much how it works. Hey, what salt kicked in? Yeah, right, right. What, what let, did the salt? Let, no, no, not, not yet. Let's not hit on that yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. We're. It's too early for the salt. <laughs> the salt is down here. It's yeah, not, yeah. It's not rising yet. Yeah, it hasn't it's not rising yet. yet. <laughs> But uh, no, actually, you guys. Uh, first of all, Connecticut has shitty dirt. Um, Long Island doesn't have that, not, that not, much better dirt not, either. <laughs> not an excuse, but well, yeah, I mean, some of it's sandy around here. But um, we live on an island. We we didn't we didn't have exactly what you talked about at Shoreham. We didn't yeah. have a central place that people would go. Right. We had four tracks. Yeah. And you split up the guys among the four tracks. So really. We didn't have, you know, out here on the island, you've got one spot. Yes. And you congregate at that one yes. spot. So Everybody. We couldn't get everyone on the same page. Exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So we went to the page. We yeah. went, you know, we, we <laughs> right. came to where the page was and um, and we loved it. You know, it was. It, when Shoreham was going on in its heyday, it was, a local race would be a national. Mm. On a Tuesday night, there'd be. 80 plus motos 14 and over open wheels one week you could have brian foster there yeah. darren waterbury there like yeah. it was crazy like it, it, it was epic like the footage i have like old race footage of 14 and over open wheels at shorm it's a national yeah it's a full-blown like double a pro race at shorm on a random tuesday night oh god it was hey, crazy that- 
All the and that's, there. that's the thing that helped us younger generation to progress so much more. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as we turned 14 years old with the 14 and over open wheels, right. we would start racing open. Right. So it'd be like me, Brian Irochi, Bavona, a bunch of other people, no, 14 years old, racing Ronnie Gasca, racing Tim Strelecki, racing Keith Mulligan, Rob Morales, Foster might be there, you know, everybody. Well, and then you get older guys like Rob Hughes. Rob and, Hughes, you know, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're no slouches. No, I think the pool even back then you had, the pool oh, brothers oh my gosh, then. yeah, of course, the pool Wayne brothers. Wayne Ritchie. You even had like Jim Hossel. I mean, you had, you had, you know, so many yep. good guys. Jim Leach down this way? Jim Leach, yes. All right. So, so, yeah, that guy had thighs the size of both of mine put together. Yep, I remember Jimmy Leach. Yep, Jimmy <laughs> Leach was, was, he was something. So, yeah, you had some strong guys at that track that were, yes, were going to push everyone to get better for sure. Yes. But not every state has that uh, kind of combination of, like, the perfect storm, we'll call it. Yes, they, that is a very good word for that, the perfect storm. And it just yeah. so happened on an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> you right. know? <laughs> Who would have thought? The perfect storm on an island. I think we just hit on something. But yeah, it, it sounds like they were good times and they helped progression big time. So, uh, Sebs, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, probably the most famous trails in Long Island, on Long Island. Would you agree? History-wise? In the history-wise. Over the long term, I'm over talking. The I'm being modest, but I'm, I guess you can say yes. I, I know there's other great spots, there's, but we're there's talking... There's tons of other great spots that have been Long Island, but as it was the most publicized place. But it had the 20 pack i mean it had it had some some, <laughs> some serious <laughs> yeah it had some serious features that were that were huge at the time a lot of salt you, you weren't finding that anywhere else so yeah i mean it i believe sevs was the kind of the you know everyone talks about the goat you know we'll call this the goat of trails right you know um i but, mean prior to sev i mean clinton got a lot of coverage back in the day you know, BMX action would be there. Go would be there with Spike Jones shooting photos and stuff like that. So it wasn't just Sebs. Like, Long Island had a history of that. But it just so happened when BMX kicked back in right. after, like, the late 80s when it hit its low and stuff like that and it started coming back up in the mid-90s, Sebs was there. Yeah. It also helped that Keith Mulligan was from Long Island yeah, and yeah, Sebs yeah. and stuff like that. And Keith Mulligan was one of the one of the original builders of 7-Eleven Trails and Tim Strelecki, one of the originals. Before you and in, in uh, Iroti? No, when we... Or same time? Same time when the second generation of 7-Eleven, okay. like Keith Mulligan and Tim Strelecki were there a lot building in the okay. beginning. This was the, we'll call this the 20-pack the era because... 20-pack era, yes. Okay, because originally it was... It was, it was kind of scrappy. Yeah, yeah. But there were trails smaller. there. <laughs> right, right. But it was fun. But at, at the time, we were 12, 13 years old, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. It was good for its time. Right, <laughs> right. God, those are some, some serious builders and some serious riders for, for sure. But, uh, but yeah. Um, so, I could, I could tell you right now that the amount of questions that I got back 
uh, when I when I posted that I was going to interview you was kind of scared to hear these questions. Well, uh, don't don't be too don't be too scared. But um, wait, wait, hold on. But yeah, right, right. It, yeah, I made. I'm, you know what? I'm you know I'm good. I'm just a, I'm just a messenger. So so I'm I'm totally good. But, all right, far um, away. Let's go. All right, don't worry. There's some good legitimate questions in here. Okay. But uh, all right, so let me get the light ready here because, by the way, we are. At... I'm gonna be so pumped if you're not recording this whole time. Oh, uh, don't, <laughs> hey, don't, don't jinx me. We're, don't jinx me. We are good. All right, we're we're going. We're rolling. So I'm gonna jump around a little bit, and um, actually, I'm gonna put my own question in here first, just to stoke things up. Did you ever successfully teach Harry Maine the difference between an invert and a tabletop? Harry Maine? No, I didn't. It didn't, it didn't work? <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, but there's a big one, difference Phil. between an invert and a tabletop. I mean, come on. <laughs> that, that was my first experience when I came back of, of, of uh, kind of understanding what the salt was all about. So, um, so anyway, you, you didn't fix them, huh? Nah, I didn't fix them. All right. I'm, I'm, I wasn't that much in the spotlight at the time. No one was listening. <laughs> All right. Well, on that salt topic, we're going to go with a question from Chris Berry. It says, how much salt is in your blood? I live on an island. I'm surrounded by salt. It seeps in. It's, it's endless. It's an endless supply of salts. Uh, sea salts. The ocean breeze just soaks into my body with that salt. Oh my gosh, just a lot of salt. I'm not even There's the most saltiest person in BMX. Dude, Sal from Posh is way more saltier than me. Way more saltier. Yeah. Well, he's in Pennsylvania, though. He's you in may, Pennsylvania. You may, have, you may have Long Island lockdown now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you may. And right now, Ryan Ho is way more saltier than me. Way saltier. That depends on the subject. I mean, come on. I mean, that's... We're talking BMX, straight up BMX. So uh, we're gonna really jump around and throw you off. So uh, how would you describe your time in Iowa? And this question is from Ground Chuck. Oh, jeez. Iowa at the time. That good, huh? No, it wasn't that fun. And you were sponsored by Standard, by the way. I was sponsored by Standard. What happened was I just graduated high school. I did a semester of college. I wasn't ready for to go to school yet because I was like, oh, I just did 12 years of school. I did a half year of college. I'm like, I really don't want to go to school anymore. And I told Rick about this, and he was like, Yeah, man, uh, if you want, you can like move out to Iowa. I'll give you a place to live. You can work at Standard. You can work at Good Times and stuff. I was like, Okay, sweet. Told my parents, and then a week later, I shipped out to Iowa. And living in Rick's house was me, Rick, Punjab, Roundchuck, and Glenn PP. And I only lasted about maybe six months there, and I just couldn't take it because you're in Iowa. There's nothing to do out there. And I moved out there in the winter, too. I moved out there in, like, November. It lasted until, like, May or June. But uh, we had good times, but Rick, I think, got to everybody. Yeah, I've I've heard. (laughs) I've heard a little. There are stories. I mean, but... If we could dial up Ted right now, he's in Iowa, so we could actually... <laughs> yeah, right. But I think Rick's down in Tulsa, so... Uh, 
I mean, it, like I said, it was an experience. Whether it be good or bad, I just chalk everything up to it was an experience. Right, right. And I don't want to ever live in Iowa again. <laughs> now, and let's face it, Rick's a talented guy and has had a pretty awesome company for, for quite a few years. Yes, so. he did. Still so, does. Uh, Still does. So, yeah, so all, all credit to Rick for sure. But um, but living with Ground Chuck, Poon Jab, all those dudes, even yeah. with Rick, was, it was fun times, you know. Yeah. I was a young kid at the time. And you had Rampage in there? there yeah, or? yeah, Rampage. I, I worked at Rampage. I worked at Standard. I worked at Good Times. Like, that was all, like, Rick's unit of things. Right. So, it was yeah. good. It all was right. fun. Hey, cool. Until... Rick got a little too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> had to yeah. leave. I don't even think, like, one day, I didn't even tell Rick that I was leaving Iowa. I just packed my car up and left. And, like, I get back to Long Island, and I think Glenn PP calls me. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm back on Long Island. He's like, you left? I'm like, yeah, I had to get out of Iowa. It's too fucking crazy. <laughs> Glenn PP is Glenn Milligan? Glenn Milligan. All right, got it. Glenn PP. <laughs> Justin Crofton, what keeps you motivated? Ooh, that's a very vague question. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let, all right. Actually, you know what? You, 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 uh, motivated to ride. Motivated to ride? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> wow. A lot of laughs here. All, all these dudes are laughing because... It's not making it any easier. I mean, I, I took some time off of riding. It's... <laughs> I mean, I started riding when I was six years old. I'm 38 now. That's 32 years I was in. At, at a point, I, it's not that I got sick of it. I just kind of just wanted a break from it. And it's not that I fell out of the BMX scene or anything. I would still go to the trails, hang out and stuff like that. But I was just like, that's kind of want to chill and riding. And I feel like it's just a cycle of life. There are so many people like, like older dudes nowadays that stop riding for, a, you know, many, many years. Look at me. Yeah. Just yeah. like yourself. And now you're back into it. And now that I'm back into it and, like, the stoke is super high, like, I'm at the trails as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And just keeping me motivated is just, it's in my blood. Like, this is what I grew up doing Mm -hmm. and just chilling at the trails, like, with all my friends, like, just spending endless amounts of hours in the woods, just sculpting things. Like, it's it's just something that's embedded in me and it's never going to go away. Whether if I take two weeks off or two or three years off, I'm always going to come back to this. Right. You know, right. I'm like next week I may disappear for five more years and I may pop back up when I'm 50 being a weirdo building weird jumps in the woods. <laughs> like who knows? I, I'm only three years from now. So careful. <laughs> so, um, all right. So actually Justin has another great question. He, he, or let's see, he's got, uh, if you could bring back one set of trails on, on Long Island, which would it be? Which set of trails? I mean, I'm going to have to say 7-Eleven. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you'd say Panamoka. But, I'm so, sorry, but, but Owe, I Nick. But I, I'm sorry about, but, about Panamoka. It's, 7-Eleven was my home. Mm-hmm. That, that was my childhood. Growing up, riding at 7-Eleven. Like I said, first time I went there, I was like six or seven years old. And I was there every day of my life until... I was 19 when I got plowed. So mm-hmm. if there's one spot I would like to bring back, it would be that as many, as well as many other places. But sure. that's, that's the one place that, that was my childhood, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. like, if I could take a time machine, if I could recreate 7-Eleven, I would. In the, in the spirit of jumping around to throw you off. So uh, Ryan Hoey here, right in front yeah, of me. Right. Here we go. 
If you if I use a bigger shovel, do, do jumps pack quicker? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I understand what Cody has with the long shovel. I get that. But a bigger shovel, like a coal shovel, not gonna do anything. So, all right. Well, answering Hoey's question, no. Packing in layers does not do in, do anything. Well, you know what? Hoey, to, Hoey totally anticipated that answer because his next question is, should I, should I pack in layers then? No. <laughs> you don't pack in layers. Because you, if you pack in layers, then you're putting loose on top of that, and then it's, it's going to shelf off. No, you don't pack in layers. Maybe a foot, maybe a foot pack. But no, not a shovel pack layer. You don't. We're not building the pyramids here. Okay. Building dirt jumps. They sure look like pyramids to me. But I, don't, I don't know. All right, let's this is go. A nice to, crowd we got going on here. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, let's go to a question from Darren Meenan. Um, so he wants to know what non-local road sevs the best. Ooh, it's non-local. Don't get ahead. Not Nyquist. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's so hard to answer that because we've had we had so many out of towners, out of countryers at 7-Eleven. The Japan dudes always killed it when they came out, but I, I might have to say the Pittsburgh dudes. Like Punjab used to come out and kill it. Cherry Bagley rode that place great. Van would always ride the place good. Even though in Trailblazing, he cased every jump and his brakes would squeak. But he killed the place, you know. But uh, Gary Ellis did not ride the place good. Christoph Levesque did not ride the place good. Gary Ellis tried? Yo, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That's oh, yeah. A good he, story. he bike racked the step jump. <laughs> oh, my God. Levesque hit the salt on two cranks. No, literally. It's Christoph Levesque, though. Oh, man. But. Wow. I mean, like I said, there, there were so many people that came to Sevs. It, it's hard to, to pick one person. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, I got you. I'm sure BF too, and, and many oh, others. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. BF. They they came through when they were filming Schwinn American Muscle. B, oh yeah, yeah. BF killed the place. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that back. No, no. Up. My my job is to completely. Uh, I totally you know, blanked on catch that. You off, catch you off guard tonight. BF right, three, the big double down the step straight away. I forgot about that. Let's uh, let's jump around a little more. Let's see. Uh, Mike Kasma, he wants to know: Did you really refuse to have a hip hop song in the base neighborhood superheroes video? Yes, I really refused. <laughs> Is that as far as you want to go on that one? No, I, I mean I'll go into it. It's cool. Um, when the idea for the base video first came out, the BMX hip hop adventure or whatever. The ad came out saying like, like neighborhood superheroes, a BMX hip hop adventure, adventure, and I saw that and I called Enos and I was like, I called Enos up and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm really not into this. I'm like, I'm really not that hip hop. I'm like, could I just like ride to a song that I want, you know? And he was like, well, I don't know. I was like, well, if I can't like choose my own song, that's a non-hip-hop song I'm like I don't want a part in the video so oh, okay. finally I, he caved to it and I got to pick my own song and it was that super super chunk song Precision Auto alright that one right there alright here we go here's one from uh, one from Tom Bavona oh jeez my Sharona <laughs> um, 
That's what we all used to say, yeah. right? Uh, in regards to racing, who was the guy that you said, quote, well, there go my points, end quote, when you saw him in your moto, on your moto sheet? Uh, oh, probably Kevin Doherty. I was probably Kevin Doherty. Another guy that uh, did not have a heck of a lot of style. No, no, he had no style, <laughs> no skill, but he was so fast, so fast. But Doherty comes to my turf, comes to Shoreham. He's in the back of the pack. I mean, Kevin Doherty probably was that. Maybe Jason Johnson, Mark Hildebrandt. Oh, yeah. It was Jason Johnson on uh, Rocket? He was on Rocket. Another Florida. All the, pretty much all the Florida dudes. Anybody from Florida, I saw him on my moto. I was like, fuck, these dudes are fast. And it's like April, and I'm, and yeah. I'm in Orlando, right. and I got to race all these dudes. Okay, here's another good one from, uh, from Bavona. Which uh, Bavona took this very seriously because he, he put about six or seven questions in a row oh, this morning. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have a chance to write these down, so we're That's taking fun. them right off the phone. And some of them we're, uh, we're going to use here. So he says when we would go to other trails, we would always come back and try to recreate something from those trails. Which was your favorite section or jump at... Or jump at Seb's. Sorry, his spelling's off a little here, but we're good. Way to go, Bobo. Or, or well, you know, <laughs> he's uh, he was. So, which was your favorite section or jump at Seb's that was merely a recreation of another set of trails? Uh, easily the push straight. Hence, it's called the push straight. Right. Got <laughs> when it. we were <clears throat> when we were younger, we would travel to races, and then I think we were when we were like 14 years old, we went to South Park BMX. And then that, I believe that's when we first met like Ground Chuck and Wing Ding and Punjab, and they were like, yo, we got trails like not too far from here. And then during the race, since the national was so big, we actually dipped out during the race and rode to push just to check it out. And then we went back, raced, and then when the race was over, we went back to push. Yep. And that's when we first saw actually like sculpted lips that were thin oh, and yeah. like narrow and, and it was downhill, downhill and downhill. it was downhill. We were like, what I remember the going there fuck too. is this? Yeah. This is some, some crazy, crazy stuff. And there. then where the push section was at Sev's at the time, it was like pedal, hit a jump, land, pedal, hit a double. And then we were like, and after we went to push, we we're like, yeah, we're going to build that. <laughs> and then we started building it. And at the time, we didn't know about flat shovels. So we would pack lips with spade shovels. And it didn't work out that good. <laughs> but so, yes, and it was the push straight away. Yeah, we were talking about that before, too. Like, you go to these other trails, and like when we first yeah, that, Patty, like, wow, everything's got to grow. Then we go I mean, to wow, that, everything's got to get steeper. You know, like, that's the great yeah. thing about trail riding is... You go to other places and you see things that you didn't even realize and you're like, Absolutely. wait a second, that works yeah. here. Oh, we can make sense. this and adapt it to our spot and make it work Absolutely. the same. Just like watching someone else ride, you know, yeah, watching someone exactly. ride, picking things up, seeing someone's trails, picking things up. All right, I'm going to hit you with another one from uh, Tom Bavona. Albonia. says, <laughs> being that our generation, meaning yours and his and the rest of the guys, 
was like the second round of BMXers from Shoreham that were in the limelight, almost as if Ronnie Gaskett, Tim Strelicky, Robbie Morales, and Keith Mulgan had passed the torch to us. I, I know I always tried to em emulate them in different ways, uh, but other people would always say each one of us reminded them of one of them. Who was, I, I, get, I get what who, you're saying. Who, I'm sorry, I'm struggling through this one. That's but all right. I, who I, was the one you tried to emulate the most out of the guys from the first, from the passing of the torch? We'll say. Oh boy, that's really his question. <laughs> well, what Tom is saying, I would say, is definitely correct. With we were, I guess, quote unquote, the second generation, because at the time, you know. Keith Mulligan, Ronnie Gaskett, Tim Sherlocky, Rob Morales, all those dudes, they, they were what you could call the first generation of Long Island BMX. As far as somebody I would emulate, I don't think I tried to emulate anybody. I think I would just like see everything that they're doing and just try to soak in as much as possible with what they were doing. Like, I wouldn't try to emulate Ronnie's style because Ronnie's style is classic. Nobody can copy that. Sherlocky had his own style. It, it was too hard to emulate their style, so I would just see what they were doing and just just soak it in and just try to adapt my own style out of it. Does that work? Oh, yeah. All right. Definitely <laughs> works. Definitely keeps you out of trouble, too, because you haven't pissed off one of those guys. That's right. From Brian Iarochi. He's got some really good questions in here. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, make, what, what makes a good trail section name? Oh my god, what makes a good trail section name? I told you these are good questions. Uh, I guess it has to do with actually what's happening at the time. With what's going on with the trails, on how the trails are built, with what your livelihood is at the time. Like, at the time when we were building in Queens at these hillside trails, at the time, we would go to this one Chinese food restaurant in the city called Wohop, and we named every section pretty much after, like, like one section was called Wohop, one section was called Side of White and stuff like that. It, it, I, I would just say it, it, it's hard to explain, but it's just organic the way a section like name comes about. Like at 7-Eleven, yeah. we had a section called the bitch rhythm because when we first built it, it was so hard to fucking ride that it was a bitch, so we just <laughs> named it the bitch rhythm. That's what it was. It was uphill. It was going back uphill. This, bitch rhythm. It's like this place, bitch rhythm. <laughs> what about salts? Could this be why Justin Crofton asked uh, white rice and garlic sauce? That might be why. Okay. Or also he might be asking that because... Back in the day, I was a cheap fuck, and whenever we would go out to eat Chinese food, everyone would actually get dinners. I'm like, yeah, I'll just get a side of white and garlic sauce. It was like $1.50 or something like that. Well, you know what? That's a perfect, that's a perfect segue into about a dozen questions I have about you being cheap back in the day. I knew so, this. Was, um, I, I softballed it up for it. Yeah, well, thanks for helping me, you know, segue into that so easily. So, uh, all right. Favorite 20... Brian Shoemaker. Favorite 25 cent treat from Sev's? Oh, zebra cake. Wow. Easy. Just I, I, I got a box yeah. from them at home right now, zebra cakes. <laughs> what are they now, like 27 cents? No, it's $2 for the box. Oh, okay. Wow. I still kind of like was like, oh, do I really want this two bucks? I got it. <laughs> are, you, are you so cheap that you sneak beer into bars? Yeah, I used to. Oh, my God, yeah. All right. I mean, because <laughs> we would go to bars... 
and they would never check backpacks, so I would just put a 12-pack of, like, Bud bottles in my backpack, and then just, like, all right, just walk to the bathroom and just take a, a Bud out of my bag, and just, like, all right, yeah. I'd buy one beer at the beginning of the night, so the bartender saw me at the bar, and then I was golden from there. Wow. All right, it's, it's expensive at a bar, man. Yeah, let's keep, <laughs> let's, let's keep this... Let's keep this going. I didn't All have right. that much money back in the day. Here's a question from uh, Soups. Oh, great. So, <laughs> before a terabyte was, a, was used as a measurement of data storage, it was a mid-session Taco Bell break. Oh. And you would ask, if, hey, what is that? Can I try that? Never tried that. How many locals did it take to complete a complete terabyte meal? Ooh, probably at least five. Five? I would say five, right? Around there. Like, ah, what is that? I never had that. A bite out of five meals and you were good? It's a, yes. It was a regular taco we'll talk about. Yeah. You're like, I've never tried that before. Oh, yeah. What is that? What is that? A Coke? I've never had a Coke before. Let me try that. What is that? Iced tea? Yeah, I never tried that. Let me have that. Yo, Magilla is worse than me, though. Yeah. Magilla would go out and eat, but he just wouldn't say anything. He would just wait until people stopped eating and he would just fucking vulture off people. Just come in like, oh, you done with that? And just eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grady? Really? Yo, I was like 15 at the time. I didn't have a lot of money back then. No. Hey, who did? You were working at McDonald's, no? <laughs> For like two weeks. Greasy hands didn't work well. Yeah. <laughs> Slipping grips. Slipping grips. Oh, <laughs> that man. happened one time. It was bad. Came back from work, working fries. I think I, think I hit like the first set of the 16 and my hand just slid off my grip because I had greasy hands. <laughs> I was like, fuck McDonald's! And you, and you quit because of that, right? I, yeah. Like, I, can't, I can't do both. I can't do both. Trails or McDonald's. Yeah, trails or McDonald's. Oh, man. All right, I'm going to go to a question for myself. I, I wrote down, with all due credit to current efforts by zines like Challenger, Maintain, Ride Pennsylvania, or Ride, Ride PA, uh, Brian Barnhart's Golden Hour. Yeah, that's a goodie. Uh, Matt Coplin's, which is really more of a story, but yeah, let me tell you about the time, which is also really good. What are your What are your thoughts on the current form of non-print photos on social media? So basically, so much, so much being put into online, uh, you know, online format. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the way I would answer, that's what I get paid for. <laughs> this is what you make the big bucks for. Yeah, exactly. A lot. Um, the way I would answer that is. With the, uh, with the internet these days, kids don't realize the importance of having a picture in print media. Anybody could have a picture on Instagram, on a website. It's not that big a deal. But back in the day, when you open up a magazine and somehow you got your own photo of you or a photo that you shot in a magazine, it was life-changing. It was like, oh my God, this actually happened. And it's kind of awesome that with the oversaturation of the media that's out there with the social media and everything, that people are reverting back to the print media of things. And it's, it's awesome to see because it's getting back to the truer form of the way things were. Mm -hmm. So now even with a zine, like if you get a photo in a zine, like you're stoked, you know, cause other people are gonna see it. And it's like, you have to seek out to see that. Like not everybody could just click to a website and see a picture that's gonna be forgotten 30 seconds later. It's timeless, it's tangible. It's never going to go away unless it burns up in a fire or something like that. But it's something that you could hold on to forever. Mm -hmm. Everything, like something on a website is going to be lost in a day and you're never going to be able to find that thing again unless you search really hard. 
Well, it, it does get forgotten quickly, you know, and I had stacks and stacks of magazines. I and, still have stacks and stacks of you magazines. Know, it, it, we just lived off of those, and, and you're right about that. When you when something goes into print, like your trails, it's, it's something you cherish forever, and, you know, I have huge thanks to Keith Mulligan for that uh, happening in my own life, but it's something that I'm fortunate enough to have experienced, and, and you guys were it, on more than one occasion, and, uh, and you can always look back to that, and you're exactly right. You can't do that exactly. with digital media without a good search. Yeah, like right now, I could go in my crawl space and pull out a magazine from 1995 of Snap, the first issue of Snap from mm -hmm. Starrett's Trails. And there's a picture of me in there. There's a picture of Superfly. There's a picture of Jeff Allen and Wayne Poole hitting the tabletop. You're not going to find that on no. the internet. That's something that I could just pull out and just look at. Like, you can't find that on the social media. I could go up in my crawl space and get that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, point, point well made. I mean, I, I think that's something that, you know, half the guys here probably just don't, don't realize or even have experienced in... I you mean, know, the a, people around the bonfire know this, but... Right, right, right. But, uh, but yeah, thank God there's forms of it now where they can still, you know, get their hands on something. And I, I just ordered a couple a couple uh, editions of Ride PA. So cool to see that. I mean, yeah, every, it's awesome. every time I see someone publish something, I, I buy it. You know, yeah. it's got to support it. Make I it mean, happen. it's even cool because... When it reverted back and when people were sick and tired of the oversaturation of social media and stuff like that, they went back to the truest form of it and just making gritty zines, like black and white Xerox mm -hmm. copies of it, doing it that way. You know, that, and that was stuff back in the day that we would love to see, like, like Soups has hit, had his zine back in the day. Stu had, had his, yeah. too. Yeah. Darren had his. Van Homan had his own zine and stuff like that. Skid, skids and wheelies. <laughs> But it went back to that form the way it was in the early and mid-90s. Right. And I think it, everything, it's all cyclical. It's full circle. I hope it is. I, that, I hope this comes back, you know. As, I mean, as shit, I'm back in BMX, so it's got to be a full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what? actually, this one's serious. What happened to Deadwood, the trails? <laughs> oh, Deadwood. Deadwood was originally called Heather Lane. At the time, in the mid-2000s, I would say 2005, <laughs> me and Brian Shoemaker went there, and like one day, we were drunk on a couch on my 25th birthday, and we were like, fuck, we gotta build somewhere, and just popped in my head like, Heather Trails, I think they're kind of abandoned, let's go take it over. And then we went there, and we saw that there was remnants of jumps, and we just started building there. And we made a decent set of trails, it was good for its time, it lasted like maybe like like three years I would say and it's in a, in a good time but it was only just me and Brian Shoemaker pretty much building there and Shoemaker started going to school full-time again and working full-time and it was just basically me at the trails and it just it, it got too much just trying to maintain a set of trails by myself when I'm the only one there riding I was oh I would always try to get the Panamoka dudes like hey man just leave Panamoka and just come over to Deadwood and dig and then it happened to where I got too much at Deadwood, and then I went to Panamoka. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, guys, I'm just going to dig with you now. 
has the footage of Shoemaker doing the front flip yeah. into the rock pile. Yeah, just the landing. Oh my god. Into a rock pile? What? So we what? You know what I'm talking I know what you're talking about. Darren might have that footage. I thought, I thought that was he Matt, he thought did, Matt did Powers. He did a front flip <laughs> dismount off his That was bicycle. at Matt Powers. Uh, no. Do you know how many times Shoemaker did a front flip dismount? He did at Hooligans. He did it at Matt Powers' jam. He did it at Deadwood. This was Deadwood and like into rocks. He did it. He did the front flip dismount at Hooligans into Poison Ivy. Yep. And he still has the trophy to this day. He won. He won a bottle of Jack Daniels for that. <laughs> it was the Jack Daniels jump off. We shared it. Oh, here's a fun one. This one's from uh, Darren Meenan. Uh, what is your favorite video part you've been in? Ooh, I would say. Chris Palladino made this trails video called Motherfucking Dirt. <laughs> And I would say that is my favorite part that I had, like, a video part in. It was, it was all trails. It was just all the bros from the Northeast, Long Island, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Massachusetts. So, And that one we actually kind of filmed for because back then, like, even filming for the base video, we kind of filmed for even the standard video. It was kind of just like oh, we're just going to show up at the trails or wherever and film stuff, but that one we kind of filmed for. So I think that was, like, one of my better footage that I've ever had in a video. So I would say Chris Palladino's motherfucking dirt. <laughs> Still available at Blockbuster. Yes. Actually, <laughs> supposedly he's going to re-release it on DVDs. So, really? Yep. Nice. That's what I hear. I wish more of that would happen because there's right, right. so many good VHS tapes out there. Um, that, that I mean, my favorite really part would have been in Seek and Destroy, but Daryl cut me out of that. <laughs> Where's Daryl? I'll ask him. Eventually, I'm going to be interviewing him. So we'll, we'll ask him about that. Uh, we'll just throw this one in here for a quick answer. What per- This is from Darren also. What percent hip-hop are you? 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5. Easy. That was a quick one. <laughs> I'm surprised you said 0.5. It's kind of high, but uh, but anyway. Um, so how did the? You know, I'd like to know about this. This is also from Darren. How did the the white truck come to be at the end of the, the end of the push street? Um, we were there one time. I believe it was in 1996. We were there just hanging out, and we just hear crashing coming through the trails. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? And we look past where the push trade is, and this white truck comes driving up the fucking trail and just crashes into a hole like where we were like, you know, mining dirt out of behind the berm after the push trade. And it crashes there, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? And we see two kids just run out of it and just run away, and we're like, uh, okay, there's a truck here now. And... We didn't call the cops or anything because we were young, so we are like, uh, maybe we shouldn't do this. So the truck was there, and actually we had it hot-wired. Like our friend Dom Rising somehow hot-wired the truck back Dom to start. Rising. There was also a stage on the truck. Yeah, I'm getting to that. Oh, man. Sorry, sorry. So he somehow, how he knew how to hot-wire a truck, I have no idea. He was like 15 at the time, but he hot-wired up, and we actually got the truck back started, but it had four flats, so we couldn't move it. So it stayed where it was, but I guess it was a truck for like a mobile church or something. So the side of it had a stage 
that went down and went back up. And at the time, we had it running like we would lower it and bring it back up. And then one time we lowered it and just the gears broke. We're like, all right, it's staying here. And then that's where the truck was. And then Brian Irochi crashed into it. Gosh. And we did have plans to build a jump. We had plans. It was at the end of the push straightaway. There was actually a set that went towards it, and we're going to build a jump onto the truck and then jump off of it. What about the, the visiting riders that came and wanted to take a souvenir home from Seven Trails? What happened to them? Oh, that didn't happen. Yeah, they took the they took the license plate off of the truck. Oh, who's that? I, I think they're from Massachusetts. And they, they put it on their on the floor of their apartment, and then they got arrested for stealing the truck. I don't, I don't know this. I think I blanked it from my memory. <laughs> Who was wow. it? Uh, I don't know, some visiting guys from Massachusetts. They got, they got arrested. Let's ask uh, Pavona will know. We'll check Pavona back. would know. We'll check back with Pavona. Yeah. Oh my God. You guys got to do some research on that. <laughs> oh, man. How did I blank that from my memory? <laughs> let's uh, let's keep going on the subs. Go ahead. Brian, I, Brian Iarochi. <laughs> Brian Iarochi wants to know, how many 7-Eleven sections do you remember? I could probably name all of them. Should I should I rattle them out? Well, how many are we talking about? Uh, well, I mean, there were actual sections, but then there were transfers, like, in and out of things that actually had their own names. In its prime, <laughs> there was there was Push Straight, there was 20-Pack, yeah. there was a Step Straight, there was Backwoods, there was Through Woods, there was Twister, there was Whack Pack, there was Cross Country, there was Connect Four, there was Bitch Rhythm, there was Drexelbrook, there was the Bill Ryan, there was Kitty City. What was the Drexelbrook one? Was that like a million pack type of yes. thing? Yes, yes. We, same thing, we went to Drexel, like I went to Drexelbrook when I was younger, probably yeah. about 14, and that's when Drew first built the million pack. It, which was like 46 sets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, Drew Jenkins still owes me a number plate because I was number seven to make it through it. And he was giving number plates to the top ten. Lafredo was number six. I was number seven. I'm going to have to cover him because I think he also owes Ronnie, maybe? Probably. So, uh, but anyway, same thing. Like we went to Drexelbrook <laughs> and we saw that, and we just we went back. To, I went back to Sevs and yeah. like told Bavona and I wrote you about it. And we were just it, we made like a million pack at Sevs. Wow. And there was other stuff in the back. Like there was this weird four pack. I don't know. All right. So what what was the five dollar line that you I knew never it was paid off? Five dollar line. And this is from Brian Iarochi. I still own five dollars for this. <laughs> I still own five bucks for it. You have PayPal? I do have PayPal. And all right, because it's really easy nowadays. I know, but it's. I just don't want. Was this a line at at Sev's? It was this weird transfer thing. Like there was this big landing on the step straight. That kind of like the 20 pack was to the left of it. And I was like, yo. So there was the big landing for the step straight, the big double down the step straight. To the left of it was the 20 pack, and there was a lip for the fifth set. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, there's no way you could go off the fifth set lip, ride across the landing, and then transfer back into the bitch rhythm, going the opposite way and keep going. Fucking did it. Brian Orochi being Brian Orochi, he's like, oh yeah, watch this. Goes off, like one takes it back in. He's like, you owe me $5. I'm like, yeah, I'll get you. Don't worry about it. And to this day, I still own $5.
Jeez, you would have think you'd save enough money on, it's the on uh, it's beer the and in bars. It's the principle of it that he Taco did. Taco Bell meals. Yeah, it's the principle that he did a first try. I was like, I don't want to pay you for that. It's oh, too I easy. Oh, now sold, we're all right. Sold, sold. <laughs> you get the real answer why. Yeah. It's, it's not because you're short five bucks. No. All right. So, uh, you know, here's a question. I, you know, this came up in a past interview with uh, possibly soups. But uh, why did you? This is questions from Darren Meenan, by the way. Why did you ruin the legendary 20-pack with that step-up thing? <laughs> he, always, he always gets on me for that. It was the last year of Sevs. I just wanted to break up the 20-pack and do something different with it. And it was, it was a set that always sucked in the middle of the 20-pack, so I blew down the lip and made it so you hit a set, you pick up, like a pick-up ride and then jump off. I don't know. It was different. It was something different. I just wanted to switch things up and uh, trying it out didn't didn't quite work. Yeah, a lot of people got pissed about it, and I was like, you know what? I don't care. Well, that's another perfect segue. Jo- Josh 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 Hayes wants to know. Josh Hayes. Why did you bow out of the fight with Nyquist? I didn't bow out of it. Set the set the record straight. This is going to be What happened during the whole Nyquist extravaganza, <laughs> the whole thing that was happening? John Paul Rogers called me up wanting to try to set up a boxing match. I am shocked that he was involved in anything like that. What? Yes. Yeah. So Why would JPR not be involved with it? I can't believe John Paul Rogers would be involved in anything like that. Anyway. So he wanted to set up a boxing match between me and Nyquist at the Christmas Classic because... It was the next big race or big BMX event that was happening after the whole fucking controversy thing. Which and, was him riding Sebs and... I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get into that, but... Oh, no, yeah, we may as well do it now because there's not another question <laughs> involving this. So the whole thing with the boxing match is he wanted to set up a boxing match. And at first I was kind of into it, but at the same time I was like... <laughs> We're, we're just going to be fucking clowns out there, like, for all these other people, and I just kind But for people that don't know, what led up to you guys almost having a boxing match? What led up to it was the whole Nyquist quote-unquote letter that was in Ride BMX. So, long story short, Ryan Nyquist came to 7-Eleven one day, kind of unannounced it was... <clears throat> Robbo came to the trails earlier that day and was like, oh, Nyquist is coming to the trails with Mark Eaton to film for the new horror video. I was like, okay, sweet. It would be nice if we had a heads up about it or something like that. I'm like, all right, whatever. Right. Nyquist comes, <clears throat> gears up. I, I, I say hi to him, and he's kind of standoffish to me, like, like, hey, man, like, welcome to my home. Like, <laughs> right, he's right. kind of just standoffish, oh, and he just, together, just, I don't know, he just goes off, like, riding the push straight. <laughs> if he's not tricking something, he's bike racking something. Right. And it turned out, like, he bike racked the fifth set of the push set, blew his frame apart. I laughed about it. <laughs> but the whole thing about the letter, the way that came out is... The salt came out. The salt came out. I mean, the letter wasn't fully about Nyquist. I was just using him as an example. Right. Because <laughs> at the time, while all the dirt jump contests were going on, they were categorizing the people that rode the dirt jump contest as trail riders. And the whole basis of the letter was was explaining like, yo, all these people that ride these dirt these dirt jump contests, they're not trail riders. Like they they might not have their own trails, they just go there. 
jib jab over a four pack like they're not trail rides. I was just trying to get it across and I used him as an example. And I brought up how he came to my trails, this and that. It was a whole spiel and kids went fucking crazy over it. <laughs> the, magazines, the magazines might have been thirsty for content at the same time. They might have been. <laughs> like, uh, subscriptions probably went through the roof. They <laughs> most likely did. Like, like literally, there was an, like, the letter came out, like, it was published, and then the next issue, like, the rebuttal was Keith Terror, the most hated person in BMX. <laughs> because kids just relentlessly was writing letters, like, hating on it. Now, all of a sudden, the magazine's at the rack by the checkout counter. Yeah. Instead. Like, it got so bad that, like, I forgot who was the editor of Ride at the time, but like he actually called me and was like, yo, you have to do something about it. Like the only letters we're getting is about people hating you. Like you have to fix this. And I had to write like a, like a retraction letter to like my letter. Like I had to write like, like it wasn't an apology, but it was like kind of ex explaining it. It, oh, so weird. Oh, and that's where the uh, I hate Terra t-shirts and I love Terra t-shirts I mean, came soups, from. Soups banked off me for a little bit. <laughs> you know, it, was, it, was a, it was a deal. It we, was had a, a, we had a deal. I'm like, we're going to split the profits. <laughs> I, I've never seen those profits. No, I didn't sell them no. any. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sold more I hate Terra shirts. You definitely now. did sell more I hate Terra shirts. You didn't happen to make like maybe five bucks, did you? Because he needs it for I'll, I'll give it to yeah. Give me Yeah, give me the Give us our Rochi. All right, we're cool. squared away. That's we're solving a lot tonight. I feel like we're kind of coming together as a family. Oh, what, what would you say, Nike, was, if it was here during your podcast? I don't know. I mean, I, I have no hatred towards the person. All right. I don't know. Yeah, we beat you. I remember, <laughs> a, like, I think it was maybe like five or six years ago. Like, I went to Greenville on a on a trip, and I was staying at Josh Harrington's house, and we were going to the unit, and everyone was like. Like, yo, you should be all right. Nyquist is out of town. Like, here you go to the unit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Five or six years ago. Like, <laughs> yeah. Those, those guys, are they're competitive. Yeah. They're like, yo, Nyquist is out of town. You should be all right going to the unit. I'm like, all right, sweet, I guess. You know what? We'll go back to one more Sev's question, and then we're, uh, we're done with Sev's. But Brian Irochi asks, 20 years next spring, it'll be since Sev's was there. If if there was any one thing you could have put into storage that could be brought out today to instantly remind people of the trails, what would it be? Ooh. This could be a section. This could be an actual object. This could be anything. Uh, probably salts. <laughs> I, would, I would put that right back in. By the way, I'm sure you're hearing this now, but you probably heard it on Soups' podcast. I put a jump in front of the section called the push straight. I called the jump salts because I was pissed off that were too many people were coming to the trails and riding the section and getting through it. Oh, this wasn't the step up thing that uh, Darren was asking about? No, it wasn't that. It gets better? Yeah, it gets better. All right. <laughs> Excellent. There, there's many layers to the salt. Okay. <laughs> so too many people were coming to the trails and... They were also blow, they're also blowing it up too. They, yeah, they were blowing yeah. it up. Like I would have, you know, I would get there at like ten o'clock in the morning, and there would be people there sessioning from like six in the morning or something like that. And I get there, and the push straights hacked the pieces, and I got sick and tired of it. So I was like, all right, well, it's easy to ride this set. So I'm gonna put this big long and low in front of the short steep step. 
set that you had to haul balls for. Mm -hmm. how, how many other trails did that inspire to have the D Gooner set? <laughs> well, you, you might have been the first to D, D Gooner. Who knows? Oh, I mean, I think a hooligan as one like immediately comes to mind. How did you feel when you went when you went there and there was a, a secret cutaway around the jump? <laughs> oh my god, I got so pissed off. <laughs> they made a ride around around. Yeah. They made a ride around around salts and I dug a giant hole next to it. <laughs> and then somebody tore down the lip of salts. Someone got pissed off because they couldn't jump salt, so they tore the lip down. Really? So I put the lip back and I made it even harder. Because before you used to just start like way in the back and just pedal at it. And then I made this weird starting hill, like in this weird wooded area where you dropped in, hit a hard 90 berm, and had to double A crank at it. But if you look back at it though, salts probably made people better, right? Because I would like, say so. It's like, all right, survival of the fittest. Like, if I want to hit the section, I have to be good enough to get over yeah. this crazy. And it wasn't even that crazy. It was hard as shit. <laughs> like, I tried. Every time I jumped that jump, I, it was the hardest jump I've ever jumped. I would land and be like, whew, okay, the rest of this is going to be fun. But that's the thing is, though, you get over that and you were chilling through yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And that was it. Man. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? Congratulations. You passed the toughest part of this this test today. That wasn't even that bad, so, man. Let's get nah, harder. No, we went kind of easy. Let's get saltier. I'll, I'll give you one more I'll give you one more I'll give you one more Taco Bell question and then we're going and then I want to move to photography because uh you you're, there's still more going on in your life with photography that oh, shit, that I want to hear about. And, there's more than Taco Bell in my life? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Brian Shoemaker wants to know a typical $3 Taco Bell order in 1997. Ooh, 1997. I mean, my order would be the 99 cents Rancho Steak Burrito with the 99 cent cheese fries. That's what we talk about, cheese fries, and a soda. Three dollars. <laughs> with tax? Come on, come on, you got to water, dude. You got to water, you put <laughs> yeah. soda in the water. Right. With <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to water and put, free put refills, soda in it. Free refills. No, nah, no soda, iced tea. Or, or, the, or the ratty Gatorade that they had at the time. Like, ratty Gatorade. <laughs> All right, so I want to move on to photography. Uh, Josh Hayes has a couple good questions as far as photography goes. What's your preference, black and white or color? Oh, or with film? Photo? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. Um, with, with film, I would say black and white. I mean, I love shooting color, like color transparencies and everything, but with black and white, <clears throat> from going to school, I went to college for photography, and I learned how to use a darkroom really, really good. So with shooting black and white, I could process my own film. I could print my own film. I could create it the way I want in the darkroom with printing it. So I would say black and white. Oh, you know what? You sure this guy doesn't live with you or something? Because the next question is from Josh is home processed or lab? What's your preference? Home process. All right. Homegrown. Homegrown. Yeah, homegrown. And before we jump into more of your own photography, Let's go with, uh, what's your favorite shot of you? Favorite shot of me? Yep. Oh, boy. Ugh. It's not the one of you wearing the bright yellow BMX country. No, it's Or not uh, that. SBC. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, maybe the one-handed uh, one table at Sev's that was in an old... Actually, no, that was in Tread. That Chris Hallman shot. Oh, I think I, it was I a picture of me in a white beater doing a one-handed table, yeah. like on the fifth set of the twenty pack. That's in your Instagram post about his. Uh, That's right. Yes, that yep. is. 
My or, personal favorite's the one that Aaron took you in the little tutu. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> another favorite is probably the one that Ted shot of me in Boston. I was on the cover of Dig. That one's that's like up there too. About the supermodel. Ted super, shot it. Yeah, Ted shot it. Was that. on the cover of Dig. It was on the cover of oh, Dig. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, not was only Boston. was not only was I on the cover of Dig, which was mind blowing at the time. But also Ted shot it, which was yeah. doubly mind blowing. So just right. double the stoke. Uh, when was that? Uh, probably 2000, 2001. Yeah. It was actually while we were filming for like Neighborhood Superheroes. Got it. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, favorite shot by you? Uh, probably the picture that I shot of Mike Egan at Posh in 2008. That might be one of my favorite trail photos. Uh, one, the photo I'm super stoked on. It's a rad photo. But also, it's it's kind of hard to say, but the meaning behind it, because that was a photo that I shot on the, the day before Mikey had his really bad crash. Ooh. So it was kind of like, like the last photo that I ever shot of him or probably anybody ever shot of him before his accident. And it just happened to be the day before, like literally the night before, like it was getting dark and everything. And it was on Chillers at Posh. Mikey was killing that right hip, like doing three look backs, three can axes and everything. And I was like, hey Mikey, you wanna shoot something on that? He's like, yeah, what do you want? I'm like, I just want a whip or two, that's it. Like I didn't want anything crazy, no three look backs. I'm like, just do a whip for me. And like he just fired out like two or three whips. And to this day, it's like one of my favorite photos that I've ever shot. And it's cool because Doug Folks just like in the corner of the shot, just like it's like the essence of trails, just somebody chilling in a chair, just watching somebody else ride, you know? Is that a good answer? Is that worth it? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. yeah. I thought it was the day before. It just kind of makes you That's think, wild, you know, it's uh, there's a lot to think about with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's picture? it's hard, like, it's weird to take pride in something like that because sure. of what was so horrible yeah. that happened to Mikey. Right. But I, I don't know. It, it's just weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. What was that in? Was that in anything? It was. Was that picture published? Yeah, it was yeah. on the cover of Dig. It was. It was. It was in a couple other things yeah. too. Wow. How many covers do you have? That I've shot. That you shot. Uh, I think, th like three or four. Wow. I mean, the one thing that's cool with, I love Dig to Death, and I feel very fortunate <laughs> that I'm one of the few people that have been on the cover of Dig and have also shot the cover of Dig. That's awesome. I think I think I've shot two or three covers of Dig, uh -huh. and like a, I got a cover of like Ride Ride US, and I think Ride UK. Let's switch it over to your current venture, which is always interesting to me. Uh, but it's the abandoned photography. Yeah. That you uh, that you do with Aaron, and um, just when did that start? When did you get into taking photos of abandoned properties? I mean, with me with abandoned properties with growing up with bmx it seems like you're always around something abandoned you're always looking for for something that has no use and making use out of it so with growing up through bmx you'd always look for an empty warehouse or an empty overhang or something try to build sketchy ramps or even in the woods like you could say it's an abandoned set of woods but you're creating there but it was something that i was always interested even back when I lived in, in Bethlehem in like 1999, like <clears throat> I would sneak into the Bethlehem steel mill and take pictures there and everything. And it was always something that I was like just super into, but never really got into doing. And then when I had the lull from BMX, 
it was just something that that gripped me like that something else that stoked my fire of like creating beauty out of something that's left behind you know so it's just you know and it's the same thing with like riding bmx it's that risk taking of like you're you know you're breaking the law like you're going into these places where you're not supposed to be and just like i said just like trying to create art out of something that's decayed and left behind and just try to make it look awesome and it's just like still right now like it's kind of like looking for a street spot like you're just constantly searching the internet like finding all these places and everything so yeah there are a lot of parallels with that for sure but uh it's amazing photography i mean I, well thank you I, I i look at some of that and i just i mean you see everything from psych words to to uh diners to mansions yeah. to you know just in a diner to, you know schools right to, you know all kinds of great stuff i mean <laughs> So what's the, uh, is there an end goal with that? I mean, right now I'm just doing it for the love of it. Like I said, like even with shooting BMX, it's something that I love to do. Even now I still shoot BMX here and there. I have no intentions on trying to get public, anything published, even though there's no publications or even on websites. It's just something that I love doing. So I'm doing it for the love of photography, you know, hang it up on my wall, but End goal is maybe possibly try to do a book something later on, you know. Right, right. You've accumulated enough, I'm, I'm sure that. But uh, I still have so many other things that I want to do, so many other spots that I want to hit. That pretty much wraps it up. That's uh, maybe we didn't really go too hard on you. I know it's kind of a week. I feel like I talk way does anyone more. Have anything they could throw at Keith that that's a little more of a hardball? Go for it. What do you got? You claim to have invented a few tricks. Do <laughs> <laughs> you care to speak about those? The X of the turndown? <laughs> yeah. Uh, porn star? Oh, the supermodel? Yeah. The supermodel? AKA the porn star. I didn't claim to invent that. I think you did. No. I did that, and then Chris Hallman called it the supermodel toboggan. So I didn't I didn't invent it. I, I think Groundchuck actually did it first. What else? Yeah, what about the X turn down? I, don't, I think I said that when I was like 16 or something. <laughs> I was like 14 years old. I went to Las Vegas and like I was riding a skate park and it was a big box room. I didn't exit the turn down. I was like, I've never seen anybody do this before. I'm the first one. Um, can you give us like a, a classic kook story at Sev's? Like, who was the biggest kook that ever came there? Because obviously, uh, trails attract kooks. You know, yeah. So who was the biggest kook that ever came through Sevs? Oh my God, the biggest kook that ever came through Sevs. Woo! Like, I mean, I feel like I was there. There's a new one every day. There was a new one every day. Oh my God, the biggest kook. Wow, Vinny Genie. <laughs> I know that's our boy. <laughs> Say it ain't so. It's so, it's so weird because there were so many kooks that came through. I don't, can you name one? Uh, what about Cobra Chris? Oh, oh, you mean, I thought you were talking about, like, riders. No, 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 oh, non-riders. Non-riders. That should be oh, easier. Oh, my God, non-riders. Yeah, like, like oh. just the, the strange people that showed up. Yeah. And, like, showed up and you have to, all right, not only if you have to maintain the trails, deal with all the riders, but dealing with random kooks from the neighborhood. Yeah, we had we had a lot of random kooks from the neighborhood. Uh, there was this kid, Cobra Chris, that went there, and he was just this weird little kooky kid. 
Uh, the little kid that Bavona threw in the puddle wasn't me. Bavona threw him in the puddle. That's in trailblazing. Um, uh, what was that kid's name? I think it was like Zach or something. That kid was a little kook. Who else? The girl, too. What was the girl's name? I don't know. Like Debbie or no, Debbie was from Taco Bell. Yeah. There were so many kooks, but Cobra Chris was a kook. And I happened to run into Cobra Chris like years later. And he was like, Hey man, you remember me? I'm like, I have no idea who you are. He's like, Cobra Chris, and he's like five feet taller than me. I'm like, Oh my god, I'm like, sorry for everything that we did to you. We didn't do anything to him, we would just make fun of him back but in the day. Besides, besides the riding sessions, the atmosphere at Sev's, like, there was always like a sideshow going on? I mean, there were sometimes sideshows going on. It, it was more like sideshows that we created. Yeah. You know, it was like, there was always weird stuff happening, and we would just point fun at it and just make fun of it, but, you know... There were so many sessions at Sebs that was epic, epic, epic shit talking, tea party and Taco Bell sessions. It was, it was awesome. That brings up someone. Uh, how did you get to know and become uh, good friends with John Lee? With John Lee, the first time I ever met John Lee, we were at Sterich Trails in Patchogue, and we were there. I believe we have footage of it actually. The first time we met him. We were riding there, there's this big tabletop that you had to pedal for, out of a berm, hit a camel, pedal, hit a table, and just some random dude with a number plate and an echo helmet with like a JT mouth mouthpiece is just shredding. He's got the 20L number plate, we're like, who, who is this guy? And then we finally get to talking to him. He's like, hey, man, my name's John, you know, all nice and calm. Like, I'm John, you know. And we're like, hey, man, cool. He's like, yeah, you know, I got trails, you know, not too far from here. <laughs> so we're like, all right, sweet. So, like, like after the session, I, be- I believe it was after that session, we, we ride down to Oak Park, which was maybe like a two-mile bike ride, and that's where Oak Park was. Yeah. And it was like, like, how is this? How do we not know about this? It's like, you know, it was full on like racetrack style. Like you, you come off the start nail, hit a berm, pedal your balls off, hit a camel, pedal and hit a triple. Like who builds triples? And then you pedal your balls off and hit this 25 foot jump. And we're like, why is this here? Like now I understand why you were doing this at Steritz with a number plate and an echo helmet. <laughs> And that's a John Lee story. Oh, that's great. Explains exactly why he's called the nicest guy in being. Oh, my God. from Long Island? What? Yeah. I'm new to this shit. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's awesome about Joe's podcast. Yeah. People are learning that's what know, I mean, the history. John Lee yeah. is an OG yeah. Long Islander. Yeah. Like one, one of. What town? What did he grow up? Bellport. Bellport? Bellport? Uh, yeah, Bellport. How long did he work at Seal Bike Works? He was there for a long time, right? He worked there for a while. He designed the monkey bars and the woody cranks. Really? Yeah, I believe so, right? But yeah, John Lee, nicest person ever. He's, he's, like, he's like a glue of BMX, you know? Like, everybody knows John Lee. Yeah. Everybody knows him as the nicest person in BMX, and, and he is. He is. He pretty much is. Absolutely. He brought all of us together. That's for sure. That for that for that event. That's that's uh, 
It was a good time. It was a great time. And he was stoked, too. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Dude, I cried when I gave him that money. Oh. Like I like I welled yeah. up. Like that like that's my boy. Oh yeah. You know, that's my yeah. boy and like just just to see him so stoked at that time and like 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 yeah. what you did like and everybody as a whole what we did for oh, him like definitely. it was total team effort. It, it was a tearjerker. Yeah. It's a tearjerker. Salt went away for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Low sodium. Low yeah. sodium. You know, that's the best part of those events is uh, is when you get to the end of the day and, man, it's it's uh, it, it's crazy the reactions that you that you get because it's everyone is just humbled. You know, it's, oh my it's God. amazing. It's so um, humbled. But uh, it, it's good stuff. We got to keep that going. For sure. Hell yeah. Heart healthy, low sodium. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, exactly. Anybody else around the fire have any questions? Oh my god, everyone's just wrapping her up. I think they're all tired. I'm just I'm doing so much listening. Yeah, right. Right. One seat a day. Yeah. One seat a day. Well this has been awesome. I appreciate you doing it. I I'm stoked to do it. I wish you could go on longer, but no one has any questions. No, uh, hey, we have a favorite person to dig with. Oh my god. Like in the history? Yeah. Oh man. Scott. <laughs> uh, favorite person ever to dig with. Oh man. Woo. I would say Orochi, but we we went head to head many of times digging at Seps. But Yeah, like who'd you like click with like yeah, we wanna do the same thing or like <laughs> Ah, man, I honestly, I don't know. It, it's such a hard question. Irochi's up there. Chris Palladino. Chris Palladino probably up there. I mean, but like I said, like, I've dug at so many places. I've dug at Nam. <clears throat> Dave King, me and him clicked together good. I dug at Posh, me and Gilly and stuff like that. J-Bone too, Sal Roach back then. Uh, Panamoka with the boys. You know, Ryan, Nick, Dave, Zober. And There's no way you saw eye to eye with Dave and Silver. No, I definitely didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Come on. Well, how about what was your what was your favorite trail spot to ride that you didn't dig at? Ooh, like ever dug at or just like locally? <laughs> ever. Yeah. Ever? Like it could be anywhere. Be anywhere? Yeah, probably, probably Nom. No. Nom. So like I... besides Sevs or any of the spots where I was like local at, probably Nom or Posh. Dave King spot. That was Dave King, Dave Ecom, Murph, oh, wow. Nick Fetchko. Goes way back. All the, yeah, know. it goes way back. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. How about the current state of trails on Long Island? Current state of trails on Long Island is kicking, man. It's good. It's like up out here. It it never went away. I don't even think it it had a slow point at one point. You know, I mean, Kiko was there. It was it was a little dormant for a little bit, but now it's like full on roast. Do you think there was ever a more unified time than now? Uh like as far as trails go. As far as trails go, I mean it's it's hard to answer because things are so much different now. Like now that we're older, everyone's got their own lives, everyone has jobs, everyone has they're married, they have kids, they have this and that, but like Back in the day with, like, Sevs and Oak Park and stuff like that, that's when... Well, I mean between different seeds. Be between different... Between different trails and different seeds. Right. Like, 
Like, right. do you think there was more a more unified time than now between different trails? <laughs> I saw them smoke like in different groups. Yeah, like now, it, yeah, now it might be one scene. Like it really meshes because now, like I said, everyone's getting older. Not everybody can dedicate full time to one spot. I mean, some people do, obviously, but now, like, now it's like you just chip in wherever you can. As but even out to, here, like we're all over. Like we'll be at Hattie yeah. all day, be over to But, he, but back in the here, day, like, it was like, like us at Sebs, like we would mainly just dig at Sebs. Yeah. Like John Lee and all them would mainly dig at Oak, you know, like, <laughs> like whatever. Like that was, those were the crews: Sebs crew, Oak Park crew, Hooligan crew, and then it progressed from there. But now it's. It's it's all just a blending of scene, you know. It's all like you know, it's all unified. You could say. Well, knowing that that trails are are not infinite, you know. In you know, as we get older, we realize that uh, these don't last forever. So you know, I would think people come together because of that. It's you know, enjoy it together as long as we can. I appreciate it. Yeah, you have to appreciate it because honestly, being a trail rider is insanity like it's straight up insanity like you're spending as much I time way more than i ride trust me way more no it, it it is straight up it's straight up crazy because you are spending every spare time that you have digging holes in the woods sculpting sculpting jumps that you don't know is going to be there tomorrow like it is straight crazy for no money for no money you're not getting paid to do this you're getting you're doing this just straight for the gratification of sculpting something and creating something and enjoying what you built because at any moment it could be gone right exactly and then you just want to live for it and you fucking bust your ass doing it as much as you can and i think that's creating a tighter community because people respect that you know people respect that huge it's it's you go to a place and you're just so grateful it's there whether it's you know it is eastern pennsylvania or or rhode island or long island or you know I mean, the people that are in that ride trails and dig trails, they know, they understand the community. Other people do not. But the people that ride and dig, they understand, like, your set of trails, that's your home. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be respectful when you come into somebody's, somebody else's house. Like, you don't walk into somebody else's house and don't say hello, offer to do something. You go to somebody else's trails, like, that's their home. Yeah. Like, you, right. like you, have, you should be respectful and... Do whatever you can to help out with that spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your shoes off. At least. Oh, you, oh, you skid, you skidding that pit five minute break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a real thing. That was a real thing. Yeah. I've gotten shut down for not even skidding at one time. One time I got shut down and I didn't even. Who shut you down? Brian Kaminsky shut me down. Really? This is still recording. Yes. I hated you so bad. <laughs> Thank you for making me a better trail rider. All right, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk salty, if it wasn't uh, for yeah, yeah. If it, you what had about, to be so one of all of our best friends, right? At hooligans, the point <laughs> where if you cased, you were potentially getting shut down. Yeah. So that did that make you better? You were like, Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not casing this. I shit. used to I'm go really to Shoreham. Actually, we'd hop the fence so we could practice riding double rollers before the jumps just to get through. Putting <laughs> <laughs> so like, those two jumps in that hooligan made me better. Those two jumps before the turn. It goes back to what I said about salt. Like, yeah, yeah, true. That is true. It's a real fucking thing. It is. We had Tico. We did that when we first had it. It was just like. Yeah. 
Well, you had it first, and we stole it, but when we stole it, we're like, we can't have it be this easy. Like, you can't do that. So we're just like, how many fucked up things can you put before the first jump to yep. make it so only you could do it without having to put a chain in it? It's yeah. like car doors, fucking holes that you had to bring off. So, in hindsight, you guys are welcome. <laughs> I pay homage to the Deacon. Uh, but it's translated to trails. Actually, it's getting soft now, but. Because we're getting older, that's why. We just want to enjoy our time in the woods. I don't know about you guys, I'm not getting <laughs> But. This, this beginning set up here reminds me it's very tried and true to Long Island. <laughs> but yeah, th- at Seb's, there were so many times I shut people down. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there there are stories that f- from people that I'm friends with now when they first met me, they're like, yeah, I remember like I went to Oak Park one day and you screamed at me to get out of like to get out of the way and you kicked me out or at Sebs or something like that. That's life though, it's Darwinism. Yeah. Survival of the fittest. Exactly. Yeah. Like like I think like Daryl Taco rides for Kink, one of my boys now, but back in the day. He even talks about like he had an interview like on a day with E Plat or something. Like he talks about the first time he met me, like he came to Seb's with his dad. <laughs> And I get to the trails, and I'm, like, working on the trails, and Daryl Taco walks through one of the pits that's muddy, and I scream at him. Like, what the hell are you doing? Get the fuck off the jumps! And he was scared shitless because he was, like, 12 years old. Seth also wasn't a secret. Like, no, it was, it was so not a... famous. It was so popular. Everyone wanted to ride your trails. Yes. Everyone, I mean, they were my trails. Be like, I'm going to Keith Terrace trails. I'm going to 7-Eleven. I'm going to be the man. And like you're sitting there pulling your hair out, like, oh, I just want to have some jumps. And it, like, <laughs> that's what that was, right? It was. I mean, it was crazy. It, was, it, it wasn't my trails. There was many, many people that helped out throughout the years that busted their ass. But yeah, like, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And that's where the salt comes from because I'm there just trying to have a good time. I'm there every day, busting my ass, building this shit. For me and my friends, but also for other people to ride and enjoy. But I would go there on a random Tuesday morning, and there'd be people from France fucking camping out at the trails. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Wow. And, like, you know, after races, like, if Shoreham had a national, there'd be 100 people at the trails. Right. Just blowing shit apart. Right. And I'd be shutting down sections. I'd be telling people to stop riding. Every day, you never know when the trails are getting plowed. You never know what guy's going to fuck it up. Yep. You know? That's right. true. It could be that guy. That makes it could it be bad. that guy. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> what about one line? If you, had, if you could change one line that you built at wherever, Deadwood or Mocha or Sevs. Change one line? If there was something you wanted to change, you would have done everything. <laughs> oh, you look at it now, I would have done this differently. Oh, man. Woo! Um, a jump, anything, you know. I mean, that it's it's vague. I've dug at a lot of spots. I might have tweaked the step straight at Sev a little bit. Actually, the one thing I would have done going back to Salts, originally the plan that I had for Salts was not put in the right place. I wrote you jump the gun and put it in the wrong place. And then we just kept it where it was. Originally, Salts was supposed to be a big, long, and low, pitted out to the first side of the push, but it was 20 feet back. So, go back in time, that's one thing that I would change, like repositioning Salts. 
Yeah. And it probably would have made it better, but who knows? Right. <laughs> right. Degooner. You've been degooned. Is that all right? Yeah. Hell yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. Thank you. Appreciate it, Keith. Appreciate you being on the hot seat. Dude, I'm stoked on this, man. Uh, let's go for round two or three, whenever, in like the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's a couple people before you, but we'll get back to you again on the second round for sure. I'm game. I'm game. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fun. And it's definitely fun just covering the history of Long Island. I mean, it's just so much. And, uh, I mean, the thing that's crazy is there is so much history embedded in Long Island BMX that you can't tackle it in an hour and a half interview no. or something like that. No. Like, nope. Soups, there needs to be a documentary. No, and that's why we... I have, I have the tapes. Just trying to keep it going still. Yeah. I have it mapped out in my head. Well, you know, that's why there's a good list of people that I want to do this with because there's a little bit of history with each person and their own perspective of it. So. You know, we'll we'll get Ronnie, we'll get Timmy, we'll get all these Hell guys yeah. on here, and and we'll uh, and we'll fill in all the rest of the blanks. But yeah, there's there's a lot. I still do think that modern day trails was invented on Long Island. Sales, Chris Sales from Posh, Pennsylvania may may say something else, but yeah. I think modern day rhythm section was invented on Long Island. And uh, it's something I, to be debated. I, no, I you know I can't disagree because I went to Old Posh and Drexel and all those places and, this is, this is, and those were this was, those were after this is this those is were this is before that I'm talking about I would say late 80s the mm-hmm. first rhythm section that I ever tried to ride was at I believe it was I believe it was at the first Clinton yeah there was a six pack in the back to where you would jump and not have to pedal mm-hmm. like it was it wasn't bowled out but it was jump land Right. Jump, land, jump, land. Right. But Chris Sales would argue saying that Genicor had something weird at Black Track or something like that. <laughs> right. But that it was around it was around the same time like where like the modern day like trail rhythm came from. Right. It could be Long Island, it could be Pennsylvania. Either way it's in the northeast. Oh, no doubt. That's <laughs> why I love the northeast and that's why I want to get as much information out on the northeast as I possibly can. In East Coast in general. Right. Not just Northeast because, of course, you know, Pennsylvania, just all the way through Virginia, even Jersey. I mean, you got, yes. you got Clay's Trails, you know. Yeah. All oh, kinds my of God. Places. Clay's so, Trails. I forgot about that. So, you know, there's there's a lot to be talked about and a lot to be learned from, from the past. So, uh, anyway, thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm going to give you a handshake. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot, buddy. Thank you. Thank you guys for hanging out for it. Thanks for the uh, Flatlands crew awesome. for providing with this nice fire. Oh, absolutely. Jay and yeah, thank all the boy, oh, All the thank boys around the campfire. Thank you. Yeah. All my boys in the past, to the thank present, you, Jay to the future. and Brian, wherever you guys went. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> I, see, I see Brian. Jay somewhere. Getting fired up.